Elaine, what percentage of people would you say are good looking? Twenty five percent. Twenty-five percent? No way. It's like four to six percent. It's a twenty-to-one shot. You're way off. Way off? Yeah. Have you been to the Motor Vehicle Bureau? It's a leper colony down there. So basically what you're saying is ninety-five percent of the population is undateable? Undateable! Then how are all these people getting together? Alcohol. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell together and on the air together. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be working once again with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you doing, Benny? Doing well. Brought us together. I took those three shots before I went on the air, so I should be good to go, right? Three shots. Fantastic. Whoa. Is that Jägermeister? Oh, man. I'm not going to tell you my sauce. Well, you know, here's here's a little <laughs> trick. Now, this is an industry <laughs> secret. <laughs> Saying Ooh. this will probably put my uh, men's union card in jeopardy. Uh-oh. But it, it isn't whether or not you have a couple shots of Jägermeister. It's whether or not she has ah, a couple of yes. shots well, of Jägermeister. Right. Gary, that's, that's riding the edge there, but I'll still give you an air horn. You deserve that I mean, for just attempt alone. <laughs> I went to the dollar store at the behest of my beloved, Suzanne here. Oh, you cheapskate. Cheapskate, what? listen to me. I went to the local supermarket, and there's Walgreens, et cetera, the card yeah. stores. I'm not paying eight bucks for a poorly written, poorly conceived card with a little plastic coating over it and a pink envelope. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just consider that wasteful. I think the dollar store is a great store to be at. It. So I'm well, not, I mean, it just, it deserves every purpose. When Gary was having his angst moment yesterday over the $8 card, which I've told him before is a waste of money, I said to him, well, Gary, I'll let, I'll confess to you that I got you a Valentine's card from the dollar yeah, store. Yeah, and he didn't even know. And so if you want to go to the dollar <laughs> store and find a card for me, I am way good with that. Let's spend our money on something fun on Valentine's Day. And I think what you should do is do a test between you two. Buy a card from each location or one of, and then see if you can tell which one's the difference. Oh, I like that. It's kind of like a Pepsi taste test. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That makes it. You know what? For next year, I'm going to keep that in mind. Too late for this year, but for next year, I think that might work. It could be fun. Gary's in. Give him a ding. (laughs) (laughs) With all of these perplexing problems, we wonder if there's a doctor in the house. There is. There's a passion doctor in the house, as a matter of fact. Perfect. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked with Doobie Doobie Doo. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Adam Schack, a.k.a. the Passion Doctor, has been supporting committed couples, bring back the passion and reignite the spark in their relationships for almost 25 years. And since he hasn't been on uh, recently, it's more than 25 years. He supports singles to understand and change their relationship patterns so that they can co-create healthy, loving relationships, first with themselves and then with others. He combines psychological and spiritual principles with a dash of Tantra to make it interesting. 
He's a man in the second half of his life who is direct, humorous, and has enough Brooklyn in him to get the job done. And this is not his first time with us. We are very pleased to welcome back the passion doctor, Adam Sheck. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Adam. Oh, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, your, your conversation was very interesting beforehand. I'm a fan of Trader Joe's 99 cent cards. Uh, they, beat the, they beat the dollar store by a penny. You got to go now. Yes, they do. By a penny. It's a deal. <laughs> yes. And I found, Adam, that it's a great place to shop for flowers, too. Yes. Absolutely. If, if you're not really at the last minute in, in Los Angeles, at least, there, there are people on the, on the freeway entrances selling flowers if you're, <laughs> if you're a procrastinator. So there's always a, a one last chance. As I well remember, I grew up in mm -hmm. Orange County, and, and it was the same there. That is for sure. We are so delighted to have you back, Adam, because you bring a wonderful perspective that, as far as I can tell, nicely blends Western and Eastern influences as you take a holistic view of love, of relationships, and the nature of what it is to be a human being at this time on planet Earth. So that's quite an accomplishment. But then in your curriculum vitae, we note that you have a degree from MIT, so you definitely can think your way out of a paper bag. Well, that's <laughs> well thank you so much. I'll I'll take the compliments. It's, it, it, they are challenging, challenging times we're in right now, for sure. And uh, that stress shows up in our relationships. It shows up in, in the people that are closest to us that we're more open and, and vulnerable to. So uh, definitely something to navigate with, with love and compassion. You know, when we were planning this show many weeks ago and looking ahead to, oh, we're going to be on air Valentine's Day, February 14 and February 15, uh, Gary said, let's bring Adam Sheck on and let's get the man's point of view on this. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. said that was a great idea. So we have relationship people both today and tomorrow. You're first up as our man. Tomorrow we will have a woman on. And, uh, you know, talking about relationships right now, I think is very important. And for one simple reason, and that was something I think you just mentioned a few minutes ago, and that is stress. When we are mm -hmm. living in stressful times, what does that do to our closest relationships, Adam? Well, um, the stress shows up in our lives, as you said, it it impacts our whole physiology on a deep um, unconscious level because we are often triggered into the fight or flight response. We're in that, that state where our body, is, you know, our mind can't distinguish between a, a physical threat, a genuine threat, and a psychological threat or an imagination of a threat or anxiety. And it triggers that fight or flight. So we are tense, we're anxious, we're ready to to jump and charge and you know our body is filled with uh, adrenaline and, and norepinephrine and cortisol and we're jumpy and we're easily triggered by what's going on now as well as old old childhood stuff and our partners uh, get to to bear the some of the brunt of that when we're not fully conscious I mean, it happens to the best of us and it is a challenge because at the same time as 
that's going on, really, we're designed for co-regulation. We're designed to be with uh, other people and to to soothe each other. It, it starts with baby, infant, infant, and mommy or caregiver. We're designed to have eye-to-eye, flesh-to-flesh contact to soothe us, to regulate us. And we can do that with our partners, too. We simply need to remember that and repair the attacks or triggers that may go on because of the stress. Anything you two can relate to in that? or? Well, yes. Um, when you were saying fight, uh, fight or flight, I, mm-hmm. I was remembering my uh, early years. Gary and I met as two middle-agers in our 40s. And mm-hmm. I did a lot of dating for a lot of years. Neither one of us had been married. So uh, we were we came together in midlife without having ex-wives or ex-husbands. And mm-hmm. it seems like in a lot of my relationships, they involved flight. You know, if mm-hmm. I if there was mm-hmm. too much stress or pressure, I, I thought this isn't worth it. You know, this relationship right. is just not right. worth it. And so I had a tendency to escape my close relationships and move on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm wondering, as the passion doctor, in mm-hmm. your background, since you've been doing this for a lot of years, were you yeah. the type of person that really appreciated and bonded with people easily or were you challenged in some way in your relationships as to fight or flight? Well, no one becomes a psychologist because they had a happy childhood and, and haven't haven't been wounded in, in relationships. That, that's my belief. It's it's what draws us to want to be there for other people and, and to support our own healing at the same time. I'm a I'm a firm believer that we teach what we need to learn. So yeah, I and we're human. We're all human. We have have that that um, natural protection. And when we're young and more defenseless, protection is really important. As we get older, we need to realize we're adults. We can take care of ourselves, and we don't need that, those protections. We don't need to run away or or be overly confrontational. So yeah, I. Uh, for sure, I was an only child um, raised by a single mother, and I uh, am also fairly introverted. I I'm, I'm, uh, enjoy being with people, too, but my norm is just a cocoon, so I probably avoid it as well. Um, in addition to fight or flight, which is about arousal, I think more and more these days I'm, I'm um, much more... Um, believing that the theories of attachment as well are really important, which is based on our early attachment style with our caregivers. And, you know, some of us get more clingy, some of us are more avoidant. One theoretician uh, uh, calls it, uh, some of us are islands and some of us are waves. And the islands, which would be more me and perhaps you too, that are, are more of the avoidance that, you know, do it on our own and and don't risk the pain of interaction. And then the waves are just more, I wouldn't say people, people, but they, they thrive more on the interaction and need the connection more and more to regulate. 
uh, the the islands um, auto regulate more regulate on their own self soothe and the the waves more uh, need to be around other people to regulate. Um, oh, but they well don't, said. Yeah. 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 And and neither one is balanced. You know, be in, because the waves they need to be around other people, but. It isn't necessarily important who the people are, anybody. I can, you know, if I'm of that kind, it's like anything, anyone, I can talk their head off and it relaxes me. It's not about them and what they need. It's what I need to do. So the work, um, which you two are really uh, masterful at this point in your, your relationship and career, I admire you can work together and be together, um, is to co-regulate, to soothe each other, to make the relationship uh, more important, because what's good in that way for the relationship is going to be good for the individuals. Have you experienced any of that? Is it uh, making sense for you? Uh, it does. When uh, when Suzanne and I are looking at positive possibilities as well as the more normal thing, I suppose, which is for couples to work out their problems, mm -hmm. I look at it in terms of what are our options, which are the most desirable, which are the least desirable, but above mm -hmm. that threshold of what both of us can accept. What is the least acceptable mm -hmm. outcome to this situation? And we will negotiate mm -hmm. our way through that, which is a cognitive process. It's a matter of valuation yes. Yes. but it's mm -hmm. and, and evaluation, but it's also mm -hmm. a matter of thinking methodically about circumstances in a way as to hopefully master them and not simply mm -hmm. survive them. So Suzanne mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. do a lot of that kind of thing, and it stood the test of time. We've been together 18 years and counting, and most of the time things have gone pretty doggone well. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we know how to compromise. It isn't that mm -hmm. one side is always giving in. And we also look right. for those things that we mutually enjoy and then make mm -hmm. them happen. I think that's mm -hmm. the, the key to success in a relationship. Find the things mm -hmm. that you enjoy doing with this mm -hmm. other person, this partner you have selected and who has selected you. And mm -hmm. if you don't find enough things to enjoy together, it's time to evaluate the relationship. The rest is details. Mm -hmm. And I like the way you think. It definitely um, we we need to use the 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 court the, the you know the frontal cortex that we have to override um, our defenses, our protections, and and look at things as you say. It's not always easy because when we're in fight or flight, nothing else exists. It takes a little time to take a breath to to soothe ourselves to look in each other's eyes and remember why we're together to get to that place. And the longer you do it, the more you're conditioned that, that way, which sounds like what you're describing, Gary. So kudos to you. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to be in that place. It's, uh, it's challenging for many, many um, people, which is why I uh, have a career. That's right. And you'll you, never go out of business either. Right. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that occurs to me and something mm -hmm. that, of course, I lived through and many other people do as well, and mm -hmm. that is you find yourself attracted to somebody. Mm -hmm. And when you say hello and you meet and you find there's a mm -hmm. mutual attraction, it mm -hmm. doesn't take all that long before you're trying to figure out how to change them to make them more the way you want them to be. 
So, <laughs> so here you are saying, oh, you're, you're nice. I, I think I could like you. Do you like me? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're together for a short period of time. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. well, I wish he or she wouldn't do this or that. And, mm -hmm. and so then you're into the change mode. I think that is yeah. one of the most difficult things to do is allow people to be who they are. Because, you know, in, in many ways, I am not Gary's perfect woman. He may not mm -hmm. be my perfect man. What? But mm -hmm. he and I oh, no. accept these <laughs> things in each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we yes. look for the yes. good, but we don't dwell on the things that we don't like. And I think that's where a lot of couples get in trouble is, mm -hmm. uh, well, if only he would do this, if only she would do that, if only he wouldn't right. do this, right. or if only she wouldn't do that. Do you find that in your work with people that there is a core of, of love mm -hmm. and attraction, but mm -hmm. then the mind gets in the way with wanting to change things? Well, it, everybody likes the fixer-upper. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would say, uh, to address what you're saying, is, is there are a few pieces to, to this one. One is attraction is attraction. Attraction very much is biologically determined as well as psychologically based on our childhood. So attraction, we're designed to be attracted to... Uh, people with symmetrical features, per se, because that would imply there's no big genetic disorders that are going to, uh, you know, this is a deep, deep primordial kind of level uh, on things. We're attracted to people that remind us of our caregivers, because that's been implanted in us as well. Attraction is attraction. And we're attracted because we're on one level here, as the animal self, to propagate the species. So we have attraction. We have love, which is different than attraction, though attraction helps sustain a relationship. And we have security. Why do we get into relationships? A big part, is, again, historically has been security. And security means you have to be like this. You have to be safe. We have to be uh, protected, which is different than love, which may be open-hearted, I'm here to allow you to be who you are and grow into the, the best person, human being you can be, whatever that looks like, and hopefully that'll still involve me, but it may not, because you may grow into some something else. So all of these pieces are competing in inside our, our psyches and our unconscious, and our soul is trying to figure out what it's doing with, with all this. So it is challenging, and in terms of the fixer, yeah. It's, it's, it's deep in us. If you would only change this and this, and yet if you're not acceptable the way you are, a lot of that is more just projection. I don't feel acceptable the way I am. If I can't accept myself the way I am, how can I possibly accept you? And how can you possibly love me? Because I know what's wrong with me. So let's focus on you instead, and we don't have to worry about that. Maybe we can pull over a quick one. You get what I'm saying? You know, Adam, I, I really, really, really get what you're saying. I really do. I mean, we've heard it said many, many times that you have to love yourself before you love mm -hmm. another person. And you put mm -hmm. it in a different way. And mm -hmm. what you said was, 
if I can't accept the way I am, I can't accept the way you are. And so there's that there's that old adage of loving yourself first. If you can mm-hmm. accept yourself with all of your talents and all of mm-hmm. your flaws, mm-hmm. and then it seems to me you're going to be more likely to accept somebody else with all their talents and with all their flaws. Mm-hmm. And and you know maybe there now we're talking about the the key to how to get into a good relationship, how to create a good relationship. And I like the mm-hmm. way that you said that that people are mirrors to us. So yeah. that if if there's something about them that we're not accepting is that same thing in us that we're not accepting. Well, it's that it's that old cliche that uh, when you point the finger, you've got three more fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> so it's, yes, it's, it's, it's yeah. True. Go ahead, go ahead, Gary. Uh, no, I was uh, finish your thought, please. Um, it, and yet, Suzanne, it's not as linear as that. It's really an interactive process because if I wait, if I had to wait, if most of us had to wait to have total perfect. Uh, unconditional self-love before we could be in a relationship, we, we'd be alone for a long, long time, or it, it may change from day to day. It's a process because the way we learn to love ourselves growing up is by our caregivers who show us love, who show us what love is, who show us what we need in our lives and how to meet our needs. As an infant, we're just a walking emotional or not walking emotional bundle of, of feelings and needs. Baby's crying and it feels like death because it doesn't know any better because it's, it's nervous system hasn't even fully developed. So the caregiver comes it's like, Oh, you're crying. Let's see what it is. Oh, you're, are you wet? Do you need to be changed? Are you hungry? Do you just need to be held? And with a, a good enough caregiver, we learn those those needs and we learn some languaging for them so that we can start to ask for what we want instead of just cry. And so same thing as, as adults, we need other people to reflect that and to, to give us uh, that love. And as we can take it in, we start to feel more whole as well. So it's an interactive process. And I think uh, like your relationship, when you're with someone who's committed enough to being with you and the process, you grow and feel more uh, complete. I mean, we're already complete, but we feel more complete as we we day by day, interaction by interaction, heal ourselves in that co-regulating uh, relationship. I'm, I'm so going to throw I'm going to throw out a wild question at you, Adam. I, I know in some ways we're talking culturally, but mm-hmm. in your opinion, are, mm-hmm. are people really uh, designed to stay with one person their whole lives? Well, designed is an interesting word. And really, um, we haven't, we haven't, uh, I haven't been on your show in a couple of years. Uh, I'm in LA, which we can say is a little more open and or progressive in terms of relationships or maybe regressive, but um, a big chunk of my practice in the last probably three years are people that are interested in uh, 
consensual non-monogamy who are interested in opening their relationship or they're in an open relationship and want support in negotiating their agreements or dealing with their uh, jealousies or insecurities in it. So more and more I'm seeing people that are opening up to the possibilities. And, and I've worked with some throuples as well, where actually there's three members, uh, sometimes more, in the relationship. Uh, so is, are we meant to be with one person? Or are we meant to, you know, I'm not sure about the destiny of it. I think as long as we're growing in a, in a similar direction, we're together. Again, uh, you know, we could look at ev evolutionary psychology in terms of, of spreading the seed and spreading out the, the DNA mix for, for better survival, but we're past that part. There may be an instinct to it, and people didn't live more than 30, 40 years way back when, so multiple partners wasn't uh, as big a thing. We could say the same thing about careers, though. People right. had one career, lived, yeah. got a gold watch after 30 years, retired, died five years later. <laughs> right. Uh, I've, you know, I'm, I've started my second career in my 30s. I may be doing another career in my 70s. I don't know. I know my, my uh, counseling practice has evolved and changes of, of different, different focuses over time. So I think we grow and we, hopefully as we mature, get to make uh, healthier decisions for ourselves and the people we care about. Again, we don't come together. Lo love has nothing to do with um, necessarily being in, in a relationship. Love is love. Um, I know you had, had mentioned Ram Dass and some other people uh, beforehand, and we may get to that at the time permitting or if you want to. But, you know, love is love. It has nothing to do with who you're with or who you're not with. The love is, is self-generated and it's shared. So how we choose to do it, I think we come together in, in a pair bonding for many reasons, to family, uh, friendship, security, and any of those are good reasons to continue in, in that. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm giving you a definitive answer, but it, your question raises many other issues of, of what goes on. I do my best to accept the people that walk into my office or, or Skype me or Zoom me uh, where they're at to find out what, what they need, though. So I don't have an invariant formula for you. I wish well, I did. I know, and it doesn't need to be formulaic. I'm thinking of mm -hmm. how high the divorce rate is, and you're mm -hmm. talking about California being mm -hmm. on a cutting edge of a different way of 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 setting up our um, our relationships. Mm -hmm. and and i'm and I'm thinking with people living longer, you know, mm -hmm. the person that you might love in your twenty s or thirties is not the same person you would love in your fifties or sixties. And so mm -hmm. we have a high divorce yes. rate, and then mm -hmm. but people are still looking to pair up. So yes. they can either yes. find somebody who was like their first spouse, they can mm -hmm. find somebody different from their first mm -hmm. spouse. But mm -hmm. when you're saying that um, you know the love mm -hmm. is um, is shared, mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess when people are are growing, Mm -hmm. that their needs are going to change over time. I mean, 
Gary and I talk about and we laugh when we say Mm -hmm. we would never be attracted to each other as younger people. We Mm -hmm. had to get to a certain place in our own thinking, in our own development, in our own challenges met Mm -hmm. so that we could appreciate each other. And Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, for people who have had um, uh, multiple marriages, it's that each one may be where they need to be at that time. Absolutely. And, um, I, and, I, and I guess I just think about it in that way that we have a construct of, of marriage and being together monogamously mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. may be changed in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it, I think we can say California is on the cutting edge, but consensual non-monogamies have been around forever. A lot of non-consensual non-monogamies have been around longer, which is not clean and has no integrity to it. So I think it's starting to come out, but I think it has been around. And like you say, marriage is a relatively new concept um, in the world couple of hundred years, not a couple, a couple of hundred, it's only been a few hundred years that marriage has been about romance and love and choice. Way before that, marriage was about uh, arranged marriages, which were arranged in order to secure estates and property and financial security and uh, bloodlines. So it's relatively new. Monogamy, you know, the, the inside of those arranged marriages, people had mistresses and and affairs and the rest and it was normal back in greek times many things were going on in the greek bathhouses uh, as well so i'm not advocating one way or another but it is challenging and i think the idea of marriage and pairing really has to be evaluated uh and assessed like like you're saying you know is it a uh a five-year contract, and let's renew it every five years. I know some people propose and see who we are and what we want. But it it has to be growing and alive and breathing and expanding uh, as well because we're different people, like you say. Uh, The days of, like, my grandparents who were together as teenagers and together for 60-plus years until they were, you know, off the planet, doesn't happen as much or we're not hearing as much about that. And the truth is, 20-year-olds, your brain isn't even fully developed until 25, 26. So how do you even know who you are? Brings a lot of challenges on that. Um, Oh, no question about that, Adam. 25 or 26, you are hopefully in the early and not simply formative, but in the flourishing stages of a career by that time, 25 or 26 mm-hmm. and walking, yep. walking around in a circle going, who am I is not exactly a strategy for success. And yet our brains form when they do. And yes. I find that endlessly fascinating that we can be some of the most helpless creatures on earth. And yet we have the noblest ideals that we frame mm-hmm. as language and emotion and artistic mm-hmm. expression, and it takes us yes. so long to get there. I find that fascinating. Adam, we need to take our one break of the hour, so let's go ahead and do that. We'll go away for a couple of minutes, but then we'll come back, and we will continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Sheck, a.k.a. The Passion Doctor. It's Valentine's Day, so of course we have him on as our honored guest. 
and we are honored to have you listening. We are Manson Mitchell, and this is Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, More than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Adam Sheck on Valentine's Day with the male point of view on relationships. On Saturday, Catherine Alice, author of Love Will Find You, Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together, rounds out the love weekend. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. That was Randy Newman. Welcome to L.A. We have Adam Sheck from L.A. on the phone. Adam, if people would like to connect with you, what is your website and how can they find you? Oh, I've got probably 100 pages of Googling these days. Sheck, S-H-E-C-K, if you want to Google my main website is thepassiondoctor.com. Doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. Uh, you're welcome to get me uh, Instagram at Passion Doctor, Twitter at Passion Doctor, Facebook at Passion Doctor. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Um, I can give you my office phone number if you want, or you can Google for that too. I don't know if you like giving phone numbers over the phone over over this. So I'm um, go right ahead. It's 310-968-1526 if you're interested. I'm happy to to set up a complimentary consultation. I work with people all around the world. Um, Some relationships are either long distance, so we'll do three-way Zoom conference uh, video calls in, or sometimes people are traveling. Uh, So many, many ways to, to work with 
with people uh, in Los Angeles as well as around the country and the world. So thank you so much. It's just Passion Doctor, and I'm sure you'll have a link someplace on on all of this as well. Thank you sure. so well, much. Thank you, Ed. And go ahead and give out that phone number again just a bit more slowly. Sure. 310-968-1526. And if you go to my yeah. website and... and and uh, subscribe to my newsletter. I've got a ton of relationship and, and sexuality freebies there too. I've got an ebook, 101 Ways to Bring Back the Passion, a lot of, of different things you, you might benefit from as well. So back to the matter at hand, but I appreciate uh, the plug. Uh, no problem. It's one of the things we do here. <laughs> That's great, Adam. I wanted to, uh, as earlier mentioned, uh, Ram Das, who has passed on, was a big influence on you. He passed away within the past few months. This is your opportunity, Adam, to discuss with us the impact that this very renowned teacher, very esteemed, venerated, really, man had on you. And what did you learn about the nature and the, the various facets of love coming from a world-renowned teacher who seemed to be very experienced and at the same time who defied convention because he didn't market love. He didn't package love. He didn't treat it like a commodity. He tried to teach people how to be love in the here and now. That's quite a lot for yeah. a teacher to take on and quite a lot for a student as well. What was your experience of Ram Das? Uh, well, you know, I can't say I'm, I'm uh, the biggest devotee with, with him, but I've known of his work when I went to uh, graduate school for my doctorate in clinical psychology. I went to a, a non-traditional school and uh, had some incredible teachers who um, first introduced me to, to him because he, aside from the, his seminal work, Be Here Now, uh, back in the in the uh, 60s, which had a 45 uh LP record in it. Um, he's written some great books on death and dying, uh, How May I Serve, Grist for the Mill, uh, some others. That might have just been Stephen Levine, but he's co-written a lot of great books, too. On that, I met him um, for the first time probably in the mid-90s when he was speaking about conscious aging. Um, later on, he had a stroke um, in the late 90s, and he uh, really had the opportunity of, of uh, walking his talk, or not walking because he was paralyzed on half his body and uh, was in a wheelchair from the last 20 plus years. But he really um, had the opportunity to share love, to speak to love in that, and to live it. Because again, this is a man who, who was, was used to having a little bit of an ego, perhaps, being well-known, had his little sports car and cruised around too, but he really uh, started doing retreats in Maui, and I attended a few and had, had the, the, uh, the grace to be able to do that. And his mantra uh, was, I am loving awareness. And that's where he went with everything. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. Um, and that's the deepest truth for all of us. How do we face that? Here is a man who had it all and you know, still did, but he was in a wheelchair, and his, he was dependent on so many people for his 
physical life support. He was in physical pain uh, much of the time, but he was there for people. Even I, the last time I saw him was two years ago in a retreat. I didn't even imagine he would be still around uh, until recently when he passed. But he was there blessing people, just smiling and having loving presence. Uh, Vita's presence was pretty amazing. You could just feel the, the love and the energetic on that. And sometimes I still feel that. But I am loving awareness is the mantra that really uh, has stuck with me in terms of that. Just saying it uh, changes the, the field. I am loving awareness. So and when you're when you're talking about energies, uh, Adam, mm-hmm. we have talked to uh, people before who mm-hmm. talk about the etheric field that is around human beings, and mm-hmm. in in a state of uh, love that mm-hmm. etheric field becomes rather large. It's a, it's a growing field. Whereas yeah. if we're, we're in a state of uh, anger, upset, irritation, impatience, mm-hmm. something that is on the negative side of the scale, that we mm-hmm. have that, that field more or less shrinks so that we're we're like defended and protected with a wall around us that is smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Is is what you're talking about with Ram Das such that you could imagine that the the space around him is, was mm-hmm. a a very large space that that had that loving feeling to it when you were in his presence. Yeah, I I would say so. And his, you know, his, he, I mean, there's a lot of best stories about him anyone can Google, but he had uh, gone to India in the 60s um, and met his guru, Neem Karoi Baba, uh, who had that loving presence and really initiated him into that. And he carried him with him uh, after he was off the planet as well for decades and decades and decades. Um, so I think that's true, and I think uh, I don't know if you uh, are from the, if you've ever read Power versus Force or um, any of the other books by David Hawkins. They're all about the vibration and the vibration of love, and that vibration, the frequencies, in, uh, you know, just from a physics standpoint, are so much higher than anger, resentment, depression, and the rest. So. It's a palpable thing. It's a scientific thing uh, as well in, in terms of that. So short short answer, yes, definitely can feel it. Uh, and it's an amazing feeling. And it's not uh, unique to anyone. It's something any of us can, can choose in the moment, in whatever circumstance, whatever situation we're in, and especially with the people we care the most about. We can choose that loving focus. We, we don't always have so much control over our um, the thoughts that come up or our, our uh, emotional state, but we have choice on what we choose to focus on, and we have choice on our physiology. So there's always that, right. that piece to just take a deep breath right. or, or three and just tune in and, and choose that. I'm loving awareness. Uh, choose, and, choose to what yeah. you focus on is really critical, and... Um, I, I have told this before, but it, this seems like the right place to insert this story again, is that mm-hmm. I was in a uh, long-term uh, one-year workshop 
one time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. one of the things at a certain point in the workshop was that we were to ask people what they mm -hmm. liked about their lives. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I went to work doing my normal nine to five job. And mm -hmm. when I was interacting with various people, I couldn't, I didn't use the same words all the time, but it was, it was like that, you know, what, what's the best thing mm -hmm. about your day to day? You know, what, what do you right. like about your family? What, you know, what, what do you, what do you like about your friends? So I was asking these questions about people's lives that were always geared toward the very positive. And it was funny that initially when I started mm -hmm. asking the question, it put a lot of people off like, well, what do you mean? Why, why do you want to mm -hmm. know that? And mm -hmm. so people were very defended. But as I stayed with the program, because it was to last, you know, for a few weeks or a month, as I stayed with asking the question of people all the time, not, not what irritates you, not what bothers you, but, you know, what do you really like? What, what's your favorite mm -hmm. meal? You know, what, mm -hmm. what, what do you like about, you know, this, this city? What do you, it was all geared very positively. Yes. A strange thing happened that even the people who were rather put off initially, over mm -hmm. time, they would come to my office and they would stand in the doorway and then they'd mm -hmm. say, oh, I want to tell you what I like about my life today. And I'd look nice. at them like, what? It's like <laughs> there is, yeah. you attract people when you mm -hmm. are talking about something positive and getting something positive about them, just in the same way that misery loves company, mm -hmm. you can attract positive, loving thoughts if, you, if your conversation is in that direction. And so mm -hmm. as I you know, continued on this, this little experiment, uh, mm -hmm. I found more and more people who were coming up to me in the cafeteria, in the hallways, in the elevator, initiating those conversations about what they mm -hmm. like. Let me tell you what I really like about my daughter today. And, and right. I, and, okay. Beautiful. And so you can be a magnet for those kinds of loving feelings. And it occurred to me when you were talking about being in the presence of Ram mm -hmm. Das, I mm -hmm. am loving awareness, is mm -hmm. that... It doesn't take a whole lot except maybe uh, uh, some consciousness about it and an intention to mm -hmm. be that way. Mm -hmm. Does and, that make sense? And, yeah, it does. It does. And in a group, I mean, it's so unusual. People, of course, are drawn to it because it's so unusual. People don't focus on the positive. And there's a physiological reason we, we have a negativity bias in our neural network. Our amygdala is designed to keep us safe and to, to focus on danger and, and strange situations and trigger fight or flight. So we have to spend deliberate, intentional time on something positive to, to uh, uh, transcend that negativity bias. So, yeah, people will first, well, what? what's that? What? You're asking something good? Why can't I complain about life like I always do? And then they're going to be drawn to it. And in groups, the group energy, it's at retreats. They have, you know, Ram Dass retreats I said on to before. You get 100 or 200 people all in that same mindset, and that generates the power. Because now there's like-mindedness. There's agreement. That's what we're doing. 
and and to create that new habit um, takes a little time, but it's not that horrible. It, it, we don't have to uh, decide we're suffering from psychopathology. No, we've got some habits we've gone into of, of focusing on the negative and dealing with the problems. And yeah, if we want to look, who wouldn't be overwhelmed looking at the condition of the world right now? And yet that overwhelm is not a resourceful state to do anything about it, at least for you and the people you care about. And if you want to do something bigger, bless you, that's a great thing too. But it comes from being in that mindset of that that state that you're you're talking about. It's, it's a great practice. It definitely is. I would like to be very specific now, Adam, because it is Valentine's Day as this is broadcast. Yes, it is. I if I would if I could give a message to the world right now, at least that part of the world that acknowledges St. Valentine's Day and if not taking it so much seriously, at least mm-hmm. recognizing the implications of the occasion. Mm-hmm. What I would mm-hmm. like to say is if you are without someone, it, maybe you mm-hmm. haven't had someone in your life for a while. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, don't think of yourself as severely disadvantaged and definitely don't see yourself as inferior in any way because your marital status or relationship status is not as you would prefer it to be on St. Valentine's Day. I think that yes. St. Valentine's Day is really a double-edged sword because it's great when it's going well between you and your partner, but mm-hmm. it's so easy for people to fall into this funk of saying, here I am, another St. Valentine's Day. I've got nobody. Right. That's probably because I don't deserve love or other lies right. that we right. tell ourselves. That is the truth, Gary. And uh, I wrote a, a blog article many, many years ago. I'm sure it's still on my website. It, it was something of the nature of St. Valentine was a martyr. Do you want to be one too? And and that's the truth. We martyr ourselves. We we criticize ourselves. We put ourselves down. I'm alone, or I'm this, or I'm not good enough. If you're in a relationship, one of the biggest things I work with people on is to stop all blame, shame, and criticism of your partner. If you're if you're single in this moment, it's the same thing. It's the practice of stopping all that blame, shame, and criticism of yourself. We're our own worst enemies in so many ways. How do we change that? How do we um, get around to it? Uh, Catch yourself doing something right, which, again, I suggest for partners, too. Catch your partner doing something right. It's easy to catch them doing things wrong, doing things you don't like. Catch them doing something right and and compliment them on that. That's, That's the work. On that. So the in fortune perfect, cookie summary, at a, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. I stepped on you there. Go ahead. Finish uh, your thought. All good. It's, you, Suzanne was talking about perfect, imperfect. We're all imperfect. It's, it's easy to, to find someone and, and find something wrong with them. There's nothing to it. But to find something uh, great about your partner or your friends or yourself, that's a big deal. That's, again, I'm loving awareness. And loving awareness of myself. I'm doing the best I can do right now, given the circumstance. And I'm working to expand that and be even more available to myself and the the people in my world. My fortune cookie summary of all the above is, Mm -hmm. it may be a fact, if this applies to you, it is a Mm -hmm. fact that you are alone. It is a fallacy that you are not worthy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It seems fundamentally true. irrational to me that because somebody finds themselves alone must mean mm-hmm. with, with the assumptions we tend to make as fallible human beings that if we're alone, there must be a good reason for it. And that good reason has to do with all the bad that I do and the bad that I am. And that's where mm-hmm. we break with reason. Having a mm-hmm. status does not make you weak and it doesn't make you damaged goods. It means you have the capacity to create something new for yourself. Absolutely. That is eloquent as, uh, as it gets in, in describing that. Absolutely the truth. I, I agree 100%. It's, worthiness is inherent. You know, no, no one's born thinking I'm a piece of this or that. It's like we're born <laughs> thinking I'm queen of the world. I'm king of the world. I'm everything. I'm all that. There's that healthy narcissism we're born with as infants because we have so little control over anything going on. And it gets adulterated over time. It gets chipped away one, one insult, one failure at a time, and we forget really who we are. And that's why we need people. That's why we, we need those mirrors to remind us. Because we'll do so much more for someone else than for ourselves for the most part, wouldn't we? So time to do it for ourselves, too. I, like I that. love that. We've only got about a minute and a half, but I just wanted to ask you out of pure curiosity, Adam, mm-hmm. do you see much of a future for polyamory? I think it's been around forever. I think uh, polyamory is, is few and far between. Polyamory is multiple, uh, it's, it's much multiple love, amor, amor, love, heart. So I think for sure it's exceptional to have a big enough heart to love more than one person. I think recreational sex, open relationships, uh, or some variations, that's always been around. I think it's going to happen more and more. I think the new generations are less attached to the old ways. I think, unfortunately, they're not as attached to romance and how to court people as well, and they're, they're learning that as they get into their 30s. They're not sure what to do as, as they started off in, in the, the hookup generation. More people are choosing uh, to be alone birth rates are going down in, in many of the uh, advanced, so-called advanced countries, too. So I think it's changing, and it, it, is, uh, it is coming out of the closet. I think open relationships, consensual, non-monogamy. Because people are, are cheating, having affairs. A third of the couples I work with are coming in because of a betrayal, emotional, physical, sexual. Uh, okay. That, you know. So let's open it up. Let's be real about it and, and deal with the feelings that come up if that's where you're going. I've that's a great working. place to start, and it's the place where yeah. we have to end right now, Adam. But I want to tell everyone, Dr. Adam Sheck, S-H-E-C-K, also known as The Passion Doctor. Just Google Dr. Adam Sheck, The Passion Doctor. You'll learn a lot, and you'll have the opportunity to connect with him. Maybe he can be of service to you. Thank you, Adam, for joining us today. Let's do this again. I would love to. Thank you so much. And you two have a great Valentine's Day, whatever you're planning. Thank and you. you as well. Thank you. Thanks, stay, everyone. Stay tuned for the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, followed by American Road Trip Talk with uh, host Gary Mance. Yes, yes. And have a great Valentine's weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.